Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. Either me, my guest, or both of us are experiencing something for the first time, and we're going to talk about it. I'm so excited for this one because this is one of the rare ones where it's a first time for me. Um, and not surprisingly, it's a movie. I talk a lot about movies, TV shows. We do have some other topics on the show, but uh, typically, you know, movies, TV seem to be the uh, popular things, which, you know, not surprising if you know me. But uh, today I'm excited to have my guest, Donald Salisbury. He is a co-host of the Movie Defenders podcast, which is also on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. Welcome, Donald. How's it going? Hi, Tad. How are you? I'm, I'm so good and uh i'm happy to have you i've you know i i think we did we meet back at crypticon for the first time in kansas city i i can't remember if the one that we that that i went to if you maybe missed it no we we did meet at crypticon and then we had uh we had your co-host on uh on our our podcast for the it chapter two episode but you had to miss that one that's that's what it was yeah and i so. was really sad to miss it because uh your show, The Movie Defenders, is very different from the normal show that we... Very different from Attack of the Killer podcast, but very different from uh, just movie podcasts in general. Um, do you want to explain to my listeners a little bit uh, about what The Movie Defenders is about and, uh, you know, just in general what, what the show is and what they can expect? Certainly. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we generally pride ourselves. I mean, originally, I think, you know, our first three episodes were about the, the Star Wars prequels. And, uh, you know, we, we, we gradually sort of made a name for ourselves uh, unofficially as like the bad, the bad movie podcast and defenders of bad movies. And that has really, um, I mean, that was true at the, at the time, but we've definitely developed into just a, a movie podcast reviewing movies in positive ways and so um whether uh whether we like every single bit of a movie or whether we you know like 60 percent or 80 percent of a movie let's say then there's the rest just didn't work for us for one reason or another you're probably not going to hear you know us talk about the other 20 percent or 40 percent that didn't work for us we're just going to be fans of of what we're fans of and uh you know we 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 consider that a big contrast to other movie podcasts or movie reviewers in general who might give a movie four out of four stars, but the, they spend their entire time, uh, most of it, just bashing on what they didn't like and what, what didn't work for them. So we try to be different from that. Well, it's funny because I feel like um, often Jason and I on Attack of the Killer podcast are, and, and J Jason actually gets called out for it quite a bit, uh, being the guy who screamed awesome. Like we, especially him, you know, can almost find good in anything, but sometimes the stuff Mike picks, it's really hard to find the good stuff. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we, we seem to be the two that are a little more forgiving on the show. Uh, we've had some guests who it's like, we just can't please. So it's, it's refreshing to have a show that finds the positives in, in literally anything. And it's cool that you bring on some movies and, you know, the ones recently you did uh tenant and you did wonder woman 84, both were very um, polarizing in some ways. Like it seemed like, you know, it really split people down the middle um, and Christopher Nolan's movies in general sort of have that, but uh, I still have not seen either of them, but man, like the, the wave of hate at Wonder Woman 84, it's like going into it, I, I, the expectations are going to be so low for me that I'll probably freaking love it. 
Yeah, probably it kind of works that way sometimes, right? Uh, you know, one way or another, it seems like a narrative starts forming about a movie a lot of times during production. Uh, you know, if if things are happening, you know, you know, that to disrupt production, like in uh, the Star Wars movie Solo, uh, they had to switch directors midstream, and uh, that was a big deal that that messed with their budget and and their production time, and and uh, so then it had that going in that a lot of people didn't uh you know they were expecting for it to be bad and so uh you know the folks that you know wanted to give it a chance did and they usually love it uh most of them but um uh, and myself included but there were plenty of people that were like well this was this was going to be uh you know a high bar to clear going in and it didn't clear whatever bar we you know artificially set for it right yeah, and I think it works both ways, too, because I've seen some really cool indie movies uh, right when they either hit on demand or theaters, and I'm blown away, and they get yeah. this huge wave of hype, and then people go out and see it, and they're like, you you thought this was great? This sucks. And it's like, well, you've been hearing praise about it for two weeks straight. You go and expecting something way way different. I mean, we just build it up in our heads, and it, it's really tough to sort of consume films that way now. I mean, it's always sort of been like that, but it's like, Back in the day, you you had to physically like buy a magazine like Fangoria to find you know uh, any kind of outside of a trailer you'd see before a movie or on TV. It was like we just didn't have all the information we have now. It's like we know the story. We know so much going into movies now, or at least we think we do. That it just you know we build it up in our mind whether it's good, bad, or or indifferent, and it's like it really affects how we watch and consume things. It's it's weird. It is weird. Uh, yeah, Parasite would be a good example of that that I've that I've seen. That you know, I mean, if if you didn't watch it until after it won the Oscar for Best Picture, then you had you had an unclearable bar really for it. Uh, you know, we watched it when it was after it was nominated, and uh, it was still like, okay, so what is it that, about this movie that you know that that got it nominated? And you know, I, I definitely see I've seen enough not you know Best Picture nominees to to recognize what was amazing in that movie but uh i i could also see how it would throw a lot of people for a loop there yeah and and that that's a whole other like i mean we could do a whole podcast on that alone but like the award that's season true. is always interesting because the movies that tend to get nominated are not the movies that the general public tend to go see so it's like mm -hmm. These movies get nominated sometimes before they've even had a chance to hit theaters, and so yeah. people are going out to see them with the knowledge that they're, you know, award at least nominated films, expecting them. Okay, they better be up to this standard, and I think, you know, that like you said, that's just a, a tall hurdle to jump, and and sometimes, you know, people go when you go in with that expectation, you expect more, and I think that's unfair, but I also think some of the Oscar bait stuff that's set out to do that. It's like, well, you sort of shot yourself in the foot, you know, when you're making a movie just to win awards, it's, it's sort of uh, set yourself up. But um, just the way, like I said, we consume things, especially right now, it's a weird time where like nothing's really hitting theaters and, and mm -hmm. you can find some real gems right now that are, you know, just hitting, hitting streaming sites and, with this HBO Max uh, deal with Warner Brothers, we're, yeah. we're seeing stuff. People's expectations have sort of always been lower for streaming stuff. You know, I think um, we we got some changes with like Roma on Netflix. That to me always sticks out as one. It was like one of the first uh, best picture nominees that actually just was exclusive to Netflix. And for a long time, right. people thought of those 
movies as subpar. It's like, well, it's a Netflix original. What do you expect? But now, you know, we're like Amazon's putting out some really great stuff. Everybody's sort of these streamers are are sort of putting out some really great stuff. And, you know, the like I said, the HBO Max deal, we're actually getting films that were meant for theaters at home. And it's it's sort of the Wild West now. It's like, you know, I just don't know what to expect when I go into watching things. So I try to I try to go in as level-headed as possible without expectations i mm-hmm. try to not watch and read too much about things I'm, I'm guilty of that with like horror stuff that i'm i'm excited for but like an example i just watched the little things and i oh, yeah. i watched that the night it hit hbo max outside of the cast i didn't know anything about it and i i really enjoyed it and then i was surprised to hear like the next day is like everybody's really hating on it they're like it's really bad it's this and then it's like people watching it are like i didn't think it was that bad i mean i watched it you know and everybody said it sucked and i watched it and it was actually pretty good and it's once again like they went in thinking it was gonna be just god awful unwatchable and so their standards are so low and it's just weird man yeah and it goes back and forth i i watched the little things i i think it was either the first day or uh the first evening or, or the second one and uh yeah i was blown away by it i i I didn't even really know it existed um and and that it was coming out and so to get the uh, that's the denzel washington rami malik and jared leto holy cow i mean i it's that's um that's fantastic the other one that i know I, i can't remember if it also came out in theaters briefly around christmas was promising young woman Mm-hmm. And uh, yes. with Carrie Mulligan, I uh, that's that's a movie that's frankly hard to adore, but I adore it. And um, it, it's it's just uh, amazingly well crafted. And uh, it's it's absolutely uncomfortable in a lot of parts and has twists and turns, but somehow uh, is really satisfying in the end of it. It's 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 amazing. Yeah, we were blown away by that. Um, I I had just heard positive reviews from people who uh i trust their taste so we sort of went into it blind too i i wasn't even outside of carrie mulligan i didn't know who was in it who wrote it directed it anything i just had heard good things so uh we watched it at home on demand and my wife she went into it not even knowing anything other than the title and i she was like what's it about and i was like well we're gonna watch it so just you know just watch it we're gonna watch it anyway so you know we went into it completely blind and she loved it. I loved it. Um, I went out of it. And of course I, I go on attack the killer podcast the next like two nights later. And I'm like, you know, singing my praises. So I've heard back from a few listeners who were like, Holy shit, I watched this and it, it blew me away too. So it's nice to know mm-hmm. that some people can hear like glowing reviews, go into it, expecting a lot and still, it lives up to that expectation. And that's one of those movies that did it for them. So uh, it it does exist. Like you can go into it wanting to like it or at least expecting to like it. And you do too. So you're right. I think that the personal uh, recommendation word of mouth still works in a lot of ways. It's when it's mass marketed it, when it's, uh, you know, anonymous online and things like that. But if you know somebody, you know, you know, you know that they like what you like things like that. I think that, I think that it's, that's still valid. Well, I think that's, very interesting because that's sort of where this show itself was born was that one of my favorite things is to when i know someone pretty well is to be like you know oh you haven't seen this movie you're this would this is like right up your alley i can't wait to show Mm -hmm. it to you and when you show it to them and they enjoy it that's like one of the best feelings is letting someone experience it so it's funny because uh with this movie that we're talking about today 
I did. It wasn't even on my radar. Radar. I had never heard of it. Anything. Um, and so basically, I reached out to you because I've been wanting to have you on the show. And I said, you know, is there? I gave you a list of movies I haven't seen and a list of movies that I love. And you were like, out of left field. Here's something that's not on either list. Have you seen this? And I said, no. And it's like, we, we, we do not know each other very well outside of, you know, the podcasting world and, and Facebook, social media. But holy shit, you nailed it on this one. And I'm still waiting for someone to, like, pick a movie that I will absolutely hate because nice. uh, that still has not happened. And it's eventually going to happen that I a movie that just does not fit me well. Um, but this one that we're talking about tonight is is a whole lot of fun. And it is Xanadu. Open your eyes and hear the magic. Universal Pictures announces the most dazzling romantic musical fantasy in years. Xanadu. Starring Olivia Newton-John. Michael Beck. Gene Kelly. It's a love story about a boy and girl from two very different worlds whom no one can keep apart. It's a spectacular entertainment that will transport you beyond your dreams. Xanadu, where time stops and the magic never ends. Xanadu. So I have a right out of the ba- right out of the gates. I have a question for you. Um, sure. Why? Like what? What? When I reach out to you and ask you, you know, let's do something. Like let's do a show. And uh, I had some recommendation stuff. Why did you pick Xanadu? Uh, probably a few different things. So the history with me and Xanadu is uh, that I pretty much grew up with it. Uh, there was, there was Star Wars, there was Grease and there was Xanadu and two of those had Olivia Newton-John in it. So that was, uh, you know, quite the thread going through there. Um, I was, mm, I was probably three years old when we went to see it and we saw it a few times uh, in the theater, uh, had the, the soundtrack on vinyl, uh, (laughs) which was the only way to listen to it. And, uh, adored the soundtrack. The movie was with, uh, you know, I always thought was a lot of fun. Uh, I watched it constantly uh you know it was on it was on regular rotation in my house with everything else uh you know throughout the the 80s uh the soundtrack 
I'll, I'll throw in the soundtrack to Xanadu just to make myself feel better, uh, you know, to feel good. And uh, it, it just makes me feel happy. It makes me feel comfortable. I We popped it in when my son was crying when he was, you know, an infant. And all of a sudden, you know, the first track opens up and he just he just is lulled into into you know being quiet and then finally kind of going to sleep in with it and so it's just been a part of my my family's dna basically uh since it came out in uh, in 1980 and so when it uh when it came time to to pick something i have a movie podcast and yet it's never come up for us to to do it uh mainly because scott uh, my other my co-host on on the movie defenders podcast He's all right with it, but he's definitely not a fan. And so it's, you know, it's just, it hasn't been the right time to talk about it on, on that podcast. But boy, this is, you know, if you hadn't seen it before, I really wanted to, to capture that. Uh, and this is the great podcast to do, to do that. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, and this is sort of wild. Like I, right after I finished watching the movie um, just a few nights ago as of this recording for the first time, I'm, I, and checking my phone, I'm on Instagram, and a friend of mine who's a new father uh, posted like a, a little clip of him and his newborn daughter, and he's like uh, trying to get her to watch Xanadu for the first time. And I was like, "What are the odds that me and him are watching it?" And then now, you know, you're talking about playing it for your son to keep him like calm him down. It's like, man, it's just weird how sometimes things connect. But it's it's also funny, like. And my my listeners probably sick of hearing about this, but every November I rent out the theater that I I work at here in town for a um, surprise double feature for my birthday. I just gather all my my friends into a theater and they don't know what they're going to see, but they know it's going to be something um, just unexpected and wild. And so what I do is, you know, I bring them in and I do a double feature of just two. I, I usually try to theme them together, but two strange movies that are um criminally underseen or are just wild and are going to blow their minds as far as like how did this get made type thing and this movie is like right up that alley like this this is something that i will keep in the bank for a uh a coming year because um it's like it's one of those movies that when you put it on paper and when we talk about it people are going to be like you know what the f- f are you talking about like what is this uh it sounds like like would never ever work on paper like Mm -hmm. it's amazing that some people came into a room and they came up with this idea and that someone said okay we'll give you the money to make it and the fact that it got completed and put out and it's actually very entertaining uh, Mm -hmm. from beginning to end it's it's just a joy to watch Um, I sometimes I have a hard time saying a movie like like you said earlier promising a woman that's um a great movie, but it, I failed to say that like that one was fun. It's not a fun movie. It's, you know, exactly. taxi driver is not a fun movie. This is a fun movie. Um, you know, if you can watch this without smiling, uh, you don't have a heart, but, uh, it's just cool how this lines up. I'm watching this. I'm like, Donald doesn't know me that well, but Holy cow. Like I'm and I, I, like just last night I was telling my wife about it. I'm like, you got to see this. And she's like, well, I don't want you to have to watch the same movie uh right away after you just saw it i'm like no seriously like let's watch it again we didn't end up watching it um last night but you know i'm like i want to see this again because uh i feel like i was just it's hard to explain but i was just like watching it the first time i'm just like what's happening what's going on like i feel like now i have a better grasp on it go back and watch it again i'll catch a lot of stuff i didn't 
the first time. And I'm excited to talk to you about it because it's it's really cool to hear your history on it. Like you didn't just pick it to troll me. You uh, oh, no. you have a genuine passion and love for this movie. So I'm I'm so stoked to have you on for this one. Um, so Z- Xanadu was released August 8th, 1980. It had a budget of roughly $20 million. And its opening weekend in the U.S. only made 1.4 million. Not a great, uh, you know, return on the first weekend, but overall the gross in the U.S. ended up being 20 about 22.8 million. So it made its money back. Not a huge uh, financial success, and um, we'll get to the critical success later. But uh, well, it definitely didn't help that the I believe the initial budget was four million. And so it ballooned uh, the the final budget I, I had seen was 13 million to so 20 million is even more than that. And I think that's where a lot of a lot of the uh, once again, the narrative go, just going into the movie, um, you know, just going into the theaters, it it already was, um, you know, it, it had an uphill climb. Right. Right. And, you know, it's. Back then, I would say that information, you know, now you can just click on IMDb and check that stuff. Back then, it wasn't something that was readily available. I don't I'm, I'm sure it was in newspapers when like a movie came out and did and sort of bombed. It would there would be like, you know, reviews in the paper about it, stuff like that. But it's now it's like we have Rotten Tomatoes. People get on Twitter and they just trash a movie like within hours of it coming out. It's just a different world. Yeah, you get Google notifications pushed to you in your sleep, you know. And, uh, yeah, exactly. With all of it, so. So this was. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, that's okay. This had this. I believe this did have some pretty high expectations for you know being Olivia Newton-John coming out of Greece, which was the biggest hit right at at the time. So she was she was the hot you know uh, singer song singer actress. Uh, and uh, Gene Kelly is in it and uh, ends up being his last film. But that that's a big draw right there, um, you know, and, and you got Electric Light Orchestra doing half of the soundtrack. It, there's there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of promise in the in the idea of it, too. So, yeah, it's it's like a weird mix of ingredients that I guess it, it would depend on the, the watcher. I think they they work perfectly. I'm not sure if they work perfectly in the way they intended but uh, it's a blast to watch. It's written by Richard Christian Dennis, who only has four credits on his IMDb. Um, he's only done TV shows after this movie. So this was like his first dip in, into the water. And then after this, it was um, quite a few. T- only, I think, three TV shows, if this is only four credits. And then uh, Mark Reed. He was Mark Reed Rubel. He only had eight credits on his. And he also did uh tv series before and after this so both of them i think this is their only film work yeah and i think uh once again this part of the the production aspect of it and the the i wouldn't say rumors the actual like tales coming off of production uh the script wasn't done as they were filming so they you know olivia newton john talked about i think she talked about it later but it was fairly widely known that the script wasn't even done when they started shooting, which is never a good a good start for a movie, right? You want to no, you want to no. be able to know beginning, middle, and end for you know every shot that you 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 uh, you take. And uh, there was a point where I think the director or the producer had to lock the writer in the, in a room uh, until he finished the the movie because it just was not happening. Yeah, yeah, I have that in my notes. Uh, 
I'll come back later in the show when we we'll talk a little bit about some of the the trivia I found on IMDb because there's a lot of lore about this movie whether it's <laughs> true or not. Um, I'd be interested. I'm sure you've heard all of it or most of it, and uh, I'm sure you you probably know what's at least some of what's true and what's not. But this was uh, directed by Robert Greenwald who. Um, looking at his IODB, he went on to do a lot of TV movies, and then he did a lot of political films and documentaries. He did, like, Steal This Film, and it's just a pretty big, uh, just a big turn from um, a musical, like a roller skating musical, to, like, serious political stuff. He, had, he seemed like he had a lot more to say after this movie. Yeah, he directed Walmart, The High Cost of Low Price, and things like that, so... Uh... Yeah, that's that's I mean, he he's still been doing stuff uh, and he's got some more documentary shorts coming out in or that came out in 2020. So, uh, yeah, he at least uh, continued to work in the field. And uh, if the writers didn't. Yeah, I'm curious to I'm sure there's probably like a special edition Blu-ray of this out or something, but I'd just be curious to hear like his his current take on it. You know what I mean? Because he's obviously um went from it's just such a big change in his life like he he's doing political stuff now this is this movie is as far away from political as you can get yeah but i think that i think this was his first feature uh film direction anyway so um yeah one way or another it it uh it probably didn't help him uh and his career that he he won the very first uh worst director golden raspberry award yeah, this movie pretty much inspired that. So uh... it, it did, and it I, my joke my joke is even though I love this movie and I, I I think the world of it, it inspired the Golden Raspberries, but it didn't even win worst picture. <laughs> okay, yeah, I couldn't even win it. That's horrible. Yeah, uh, we I, I'm I'm a big fan of a lot of stuff that gets nominated. Um, I mean, my wife has a Freddie Got Finger tattoo on her forearm. So oh my, uh, yeah, and that's probably I think that one's one of the ones that took home the most awards like one of the top award razzie award winners so um you know we're we're not biased in this household uh there you go so this movie also it stars olivia newton john as the um headliner the like you said the the one that's bringing people in uh, she's known for grease and mostly her music um and then yeah. we have gene kelly who's uh much older now but it's funny that we talked a little bit earlier about this. Um, I did an episode of singing in the rain and that was probably just a few months ago. So I actually reached out to my guest that was on that episode. And I was like, have you seen Xanadu? And she's like, I've never heard of it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, so I'm spreading the word of Xanadu. I'm like, Oh, you got to see this. And I'm like, don't go into it expecting uh, singing in the rain, but don't, don't even (laughs) read about it. Just go in and watch it. It's, it's a lot of fun. So, um, he's known for singing in the rain. Um, this is his final, like you said, it's his final film. He plays Danny McGuire, uh, also in American Paris. He's he's a legend in um, musicals and in Hollywood. Uh, and an interesting um, final film to go out on. Um, then we have Michael Beck as uh, Sonny Malone. Most people would know him as Swan from The Warriors. Um, and then he went on after this to do a lot of TV in the 80s and 90s and hasn't been working a whole lot lately. It seems like he's sort of ridden on that um, Warriors wave for quite a while. He's been doing video games and shorts and voiceover stuff for that. So um, good for him that he's still getting work. And when I saw him, I was like, is that the dude from the Warriors? Oh, it is. It sure is. <laughs> so that's cool. And, and see, when I first saw the Warriors, I'm like, is that the dude from Xanadu? Holy <laughs> 
Uh, and then we just have some sort of side players. That's mainly our three uh, big names, but we also have uh, James James Soyan as Simpson. We have Demetra Arliss as Helen, Katie Hanley as Sandra, and Fred McCarran as Richie. So really this movie comes down to um, we have Kyra, we have uh, Danny, and we have Sonny. And those are sort of the main three that we follow throughout this movie. Um Exactly. I mean, we we do have one of the one of the sisters, one of the muses is Sandal Bergman, who uh, who went on to be in uh, was she in Red, Red? No, she was uh, Valeria in the first Conan movie. OK. And uh, she did some other stuff after this. Well, I'm always learning, too. Like, I didn't I didn't recognize her or um, realize. And she was one of the muses that was on the mural then. Right. Correct. OK. So. Do you want me to try to explain the basic outline of this or do you, would you I would, I would uh, love to hear your 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 processing of this one yeah Okay I will try to break it down as without rambling and going on and on and then um I you can come in at any point and and correct me what I'm missing or um Sure So it starts off as with Sonny Malone he is an artist who is trying to um break free from his job where he paints album covers i i did not know this was a thing where um he's basically in a studio with a bunch of other artists and they're taking small album covers and enlarging them into big canvas paintings um now we just hit print on a computer and we have those i work at a print shop so i'm like i people did this this is wild yeah i'm not entirely sure how to what extent that was a regular thing but it certainly <laughs> seemed like it, it it it's a reasonable uh niche for 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 artists but yeah he's basically a corporate artist right yeah and he's you and know he, he's not he's not doing his own stuff he is literally just copying and enlarging by hand somebody else's art right and he's very very skilled at it too skilled to be doing what he's doing but just like most artists um he can't really make money doing his own stuff because, you know, it's almost like winning a lottery for an artist to make it big on their own. So he's doing this to pay the bills, but he's frustrated and uh, he's, he's doing an album cover. He gets uh, sort of frustrated with it. He rips it up, throws it out the window. The, the wind catches it and blows it down to down to a big mural of an album cover that looks like um, a painting on the side of a van in the seventies. Um, this, this sketch drawing that he was working on um, hits the hits the mural and all these women that are on roller skates on the painting come to life. And uh, suddenly there's magic and this mural is alive. It's the nine muses of Olympus and they come them to, they come to life. Um, And I think all of them fly up in the sky, except for one of them who's, who stays on earth, right? Correct. And that's Kira. And she zooms, uh, I wanted to ask you about what you thought of the special effects in this, as well as the music, because the the ELO's "I'm Alive" song is playing through this this little sequence, and they're just dancing and coming to life, and um, it, it's it's an, a neat thing for me, but uh, to watch because I've seen it forever. But uh, what what do you think of? Because there were special effects with them coming out of the mural and then being kind of they all had this this halo glow around them and then they as they were zooming into heaven and things like that there were light trails i mean it almost looked like it was from tron but this was before tron right it made me think of um oh now i'm drawing a blank uh flash gordon type stuff you know um but it's great like i really really thought it was i I love the music first off like this whole soundtrack um whether you love or hate the movie you can't deny the soundtrack is awesome 
um and, and the special effects are are actually pretty fun like they're so over the top and like flashy that it just fits the the tone of this movie so well uh yeah i i agree with that that it's they're 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 surprising, I think, especially for a movie from from this time frame. I mean, Flash Gordon even has a different aesthetic than this, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But but they are both fantasy uh, fantasy movies, right? Um, with pretty awesome soundtracks, both of them. The um, the uh, um, the you know, moving on with the the sequence, Kira is you know doesn't go up back into heaven with her sister. She ends up coming back down to earth and zooming along the, I forget if it's the Santa Monica, uh, beach, uh, it was Venice beach or something like that. And, uh, comes across Sonny who's walking, uh, along the same way. She runs into him, kisses him and then zooms off again. And he's like, what the heck is going on there? Yeah. That, and that leads us to him, Sonny going back to the, the art gallery or the i don't even know what you'd call it the um it's a record studio but it's the paint shop in the record studio right and so he goes back there and he's sort of struggling back and forth like he's he's quit his job there but then he keeps coming back and him and his boss are constantly uh banging heads like his boss knows he's very talented and uh he thinks that you know or he knows that he's too talented to be there but his boss knows like he doesn't have any other options. Like, you know, you're, you're basically, I have you stuck here because this is your source of income and I know you're going to come back. So they're constantly fighting. So he comes back and he gets tasked to, uh, do a new album cover. He gives him a new album cover to paint and he recognizes the girl on the album cover as the girl that kissed him on the roller skates as Kira. So it's like, Holy shit that I just kissed that girl. That's right. And the album is by the, the, the group, the nine sisters, right? So. Right. Which we saw, you know, the nine sisters earlier, but now there's just one girl on the cover. And so, and, it's in, and she's in front of this building that looks all art deco. It's got four spires. It's, it's, it's really cool design to it. Right. Yeah. Like in front of like an abandoned art deco auditorium venue type thing. Um, yeah. And, uh, it's it's pretty cool like he he's like you know he's obsessed with her and he's painting this painting and it's his boss actually gets at him because um he's like this is too realistic you're doing you're spending too much time on it you're do you're making it look better than the actual album cover and he's like well i know this girl she kissed me i saw her in person you don't know what this isn't what she looks like she looks like this um but he gets obsessed with uh trying to find her like he's like you know in his head now i I painted this girl i gotta figure out and i i kissed her in her life she's she exists and she's here and i need to find her because she's gorgeous and this mystery behind it so um he goes out and he tries to find her and there's a scene where he uh steals a moped which i thought was really funny and cool just like i i've over the uh course of quarantine i've gotten really into uh moped it's mopeds it's like a big um, there's a whole community around it and everything. And oh, so wow. when I see mopeds in movies now, I'm like, oh, is that like a pooch? What is that? So I'm like checking out the moped. I re- rewound it and checked out what he's riding. And uh, he's chasing her and he keeps seeing her places. And then when he looks again, she's gone. She keeps sort of popping in and out of places um, and tricking him sort of. And he's he's chasing after her and he gets distracted on the moped and hits the end of this um sort of dock and he flips over into the water um and someone's there to help him out and that's where i th- isn't i think that's where we meet uh danny mcguire 
we see him a little earlier, but yeah, this is where this is where they they kind of cross paths again. Uh, and and so yeah, Danny McGuire, played by Gene Kelly, fishes Sonny out of the water and uh, buys him a coffee, and he tells him the story about about this girl. And he doesn't uh, he doesn't tell him he's crazy. Uh, he, but <laughs> he's he, the first he person also, that's willing to listen. That's right. But he's he says, well, if I tell you you're crazy, then will you stop looking for it? No. <laughs> so why ask, right? Uh, it's it's just a cool little thing. They uh, yeah. Danny and Sonny are, are kind of happening upon each other a couple times. One uh, the the first time uh, Sonny is out uh, at the beach, and Danny is up on the rocks uh, overlooking the beach, uh, playing the clarinet just yeah. for the heck of it, <laughs> which is pretty cool. And so they they got some cool banter back and forth, just friendly, and you know the generate big generation gap there, but they they find common ground and stuff, so it's pretty fun. Yeah, and you know he's he's going around and sort of has this picture. He's showing it to people and he's like, have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? Um, but you know, when he falls in the water, uh, we get the scene, like you said, where Danny fishes him out and they have a nice talk and they, they connect there because like you said, um, he's the first sort of person that's willing to listen to him and understand him. And they find, like you said, common ground. Um, and he sort of talks about, we learned a little bit about, uh, Danny here where, um, He's a sort of a not quite a has been, but a um, he was at one time a big band orchestra leader. Um, he he owned a club, a nightclub in New York. Right. Which we see in some really cool flashbacks, like the way they did those was really cool. Like it's in his mind, but we actually see them up on the stage playing mm-hmm. um, almost like ghosted in the background. As we're still, it's like we're seeing his direct memories. Um, really cool. Yeah. And now he's. Uh, a construction mogul guy so um yeah so basically he has done the same you know he 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 tried he he's on kind of the same path as sunny right he was he was you know playing clarinet for glenn miller's orchestra and then he he was you know had his own nightclub and he was meeting all kinds of cool music musicians and and uh was living that creative life and then he ended up giving it up for uh you know for the the for uh for Sonny's boss, uh, you know, that same, like, let's, let's get rid of the, the creative stuff and let's just focus on business and making money and being, you know, comfortable. And so th- that's, uh, that's the path that, that Danny has taken so far. Um, and we find out at, at some point that it's because there was this girl that, um, he fell in love with, but then she disappeared and, and it, 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 the dream was no fun anymore at that point. Right, and eventually, um, Sonny goes to that auditorium that's in the painting, and uh, he actually finds Kira. And I don't think she actually ever does. She actually ever say her name in this. Like, there's a point where he <laughs> asks, and she almost says it, and then he stops her. Or uh, so he he at at the end of the scene where she's roller skating around in in that building uh, to the to the song Magic, which was. Uh, he, that was a number one hit in 1980 for for Olivia Newton John. Uh, she wasn't singing it in the movie, but it was playing in the background, which is an interesting choice. But um, yeah, he he says she 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 knows his name, and he says, "Well, I don't even know your name." And and she's left by there, but she's kind of yelled out, and and it echoes Kira Kira. So yeah, and so is this is a scene I'm trying to remember. He he shows up at the building, finds her, and this is a scene where. 
they roller skate through this building with all these crazy set pieces that that's later this okay. is just a this is just that the the rundown auditorium and that's just where she goes she says i just come here to practice my skating where nobody will bother me and of course he's there you know she's she's flirting she's teasing him she's being very you know uh dreadfully mysterious but uh uh it's uh he he's he's being sucked in right Right. And so, you know, he has this he, he's just obsessed with her now. And I mean, he was before, but now he's got to talk to her. He knows that she's actually there and that she's flirting with him. Um, he's basically in love. And mm -hmm. so uh, this is where I think. Let's see. Is this where she uh, encourages them to open a nightclub in that auditorium? Ultimately, yeah. So that the, we we kind of went back and forth. There was that scene uh, where uh, Danny finds Sonny hang, hanging up the 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 album covers outside a, a record store, and takes him to to his house. And that's where we see the the memory uh, of the big band, and and uh, and then he has a, a kind of a memory dance with Olivia Newton John, who was the woman that you know she was the same girl that he fell in love with back in the day, which is, is cool, but they had an, a nice, uh, song and dance number together. And then, um, but, but that's the scene where Danny says, Hey, I've been looking to open up a new, a new place, but I, you know, I've got all these realtors looking and they can't, I don't like what they send me, but you have a good eye. Why don't you find me some, someplace? And so then, uh, Kira shows up, uh, while Sonny's trying to to paint the the the, the same album cover some more uh, late at night, and and she suggests this place, the 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 auditorium. Yeah, and I one thing like sort of talk, looking back at when you're talking about the uh, special effects and music and stuff. One thing I had in my notes, um, I was taking some notes in my phone as the movie went on, um, was the transitions from scene to scene are really really cool. Like they sort of have that. Um, they make like a weird electronic like synth sound. And then like, mm -hmm. the, it's almost um, something that later was like used in PowerPoint projects or something, but like the fade <laughs> screens, the screen like fades in and out. Um, but at the, it, it just fits the, this movie so well. It's really cool. Yeah. It's a weird kind of a, of an animation uh, wipe uh, that I don't know that I've ever seen it. The sound effect sounds like a transformer, <laughs> uh transforming or something <laughs> like it's a whack, 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 whack. yeah um but it's uh yeah it's it it is it is a neat transition they do several times and that just adds to the fun i think and we uh we eventually do get an animated sequence in here which took me by surprise <laughs> uh right away i was like this looks a lot like little mermaid or something but you know i, I don't remember when that movie came out but you know the scenes where they're fish and stuff and um, sure. I'm sure you know the story. Like when I was reading about that, the story about uh, why there's an animated sequence in this movie. Uh, you know, I think they ran. Didn't they run out of money because they were gonna they were gonna do some sequence, uh, and they decided it was gonna be cheaper to have it animated. Right. Well, I think it's a combination of money and the fact they had one song left over that um, they sort of forgot to write in because, like you said earlier, they were writing as they were going, and they're like. Oh shit! We have this. We still have this song we need to put in somewhere, and we don't have the budget to film the the whole a whole another number. So let's just animate it. We don't have to bring the actors in. Right. I think part of the part of the uh, contract with with ELO was that we're writing these songs for you. You have to use them uh, in the film. So they they're like, we can't get out of this. We have to we have to use it. And so we, they they ended up uh, contacting this former Disney animator named Don Bluth who, uh, you know, Don Bluth Productions, this was basically their first thing. 
This was before The Secret of Nim. This was before An American Tale and Thumbelina, uh, all those movies. So um, Anastasia, they, they did later. So this was um, an amazing sequence, and it throws a lot of people, right? It's, if, if, you're, if you're not with the movie at this point, you're not with the fantasy, and it's just, just driving you nuts how, how off the wall and over the top it is, this, I think, sets people off. Like, just uh, this, is, this, is, this breaks the camel's back right here. <laughs> And I actually thought it was like really cool. Like, I mean, it, it absolutely is. And of course, as a three-year-old, I loved it. But uh, and even now, I, I I adore the sequence. It's it's very fun. It's actually really too quick for me. Yeah, it's really actually well done. Like, there's a lot of times I feel like it, it wasn't obvious to me when I watched it that like why they did it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, that's what I think is the advantage of going into this without any knowledge or um, not even knowing what it's about is just not knowing any like if I went into it knowing like oh you know they, they had to do this because of this or this or this like I might think differently of it but um, going Correct. into it blind I'm like oh this is an interesting decision but it's really cool and it fits this movie uh, it fits the movie it's you know she's she's starting to fall in love with him too I mean this is all a pretense for her to, you know, we find out later that she's a muse, a Greek, you know, a Greek muse, uh, sent to inspire him and and Danny, uh, you know, to to their creative endeavors. Uh, but she's and she's not supposed to fall in love with him. He's supposed to fall in love with her and you know be inspired. And she, this is kind of part of her, uh, you know, she is trying to walk away. She is trying to to escape him and uh you know deny her feelings for him she's even transforming into a fish and then transforming into a bird <laughs> with leg warmers and he's not having any of it he's like i'll transform into a fish too and i'll transform into a bird with a vest you know uh it, it's it's all really fun it's it's really beautiful i think the rose at the end is just gorgeous the way it blooms there yeah and it makes sense to me because he's an artist so like this fantasy you know that they're living out like it makes sense like his, his to me it's like almost like his brain processing his fantasy like as an artist yeah. in his head you know it may it did did make sense to me it wasn't quite the style that we see him painting in by any means it was much more like a disney animation like an early disney animation but um mm -hmm. it still to me is like well this movie is about an artist falling in love with this muse and so it makes it made sense to me like and then to hear why they did it uh, you know of course is is interesting but um yeah yeah, some some of the best sequences in movies, I think, are, are come about when when uh, the filmmakers' hands are tied, uh, you know, either either budget wise or other you know other limitations. Right, like a uh, happy accident is what they say. That's right. That's where they literally get you know creative. So, all right. Well, let's take a real quick break to hear from the podcast network, and then we'll get back into the story. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening And we're back. So where do we go from here in the story? Because um, I, I know the scenes as far as the like, I, I have notes on the scenes, but my order is a little um, 
is a little mixed up as far as when things happen because there's several awesome crazy musical numbers and uh like i I mentioned one earlier where they go to this almost like a prop warehouse or something where these these elaborate um sets are 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 set up and i was a little confused watching a movie like Uh what that building was actually its intended purpose was yeah the way that they said it it was a little bit earlier before the animated sequence but um this is the suddenly number and uh, so she is visiting him at his at his job at the record studio, and he takes her to this cool recording studio area, which is basically, and I don't know that this ever existed, but it makes for a cool sequence because uh, the idea, is, the conceit behind this is this is a sound stage where uh, you know artists could be uh, recording music. And then they get to see, you know, visuals up on a screen or they've actual props and sets like palm trees and friggin steam locomotive. And yeah. things like that rooftop, uh, st- uh, you know, uh, kind of a setup. And um, a- and that's supposed to help inspire them. Right. It's, it's that, that theme of inspiration. But this is something that they then go and, and, and skate around to together and, and, and have a little uh, this is kind of their first big love uh, scene. Yeah, it was really um, very elaborate, and I imagine it took a lot of choreography to get down because um, there's not a lot of edits there, and they have to be on certain marks at certain times for things to go off. Like, these are Mm -hmm. not just static, um, like, sets. There's one where it rains. There's one where, like, like, there's always stuff moving. Like you said, a a freaking train. Like, (laughs) I, I, I was sort of, like I said, confused watching the movie. I'm like, what is... What is this actual place used for? And then, you know, they get caught and shoot away. The guy comes in and he's like, you can't be using this for this, you know, to basically. Don't he's stop trying to shut, yeah, he's trying to shut it off and it goes, it, he hits the wrong button and it goes more in the fireworks start. But yeah, they're, <laughs> they're basically using it to go uh, for a makeout session and he's chasing them out. I mean, if you had that uh, access to a place like that, you would definitely bring a lady there and be like, check this out. Especially if, you know, she's, uh kyra on roller skates you know she's going to be impressed by that place that's right there was a cool like the rooftop thing had a cool little skate park ramp kind of thing and um yeah it was kind of fun i mean there's there's some fantasy in there too on top of it because there's a point where they're they're kind of skating along this this ridge it kind of looks like something out of a skate park and uh they just kind of glide off like they're 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 floating at the end right so they're they're you know, on wires or whatever but not really they're not in the film they're just they're 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 flying almost right yeah they they look like yeah they're floating and it's like okay is this it actually made me think of la la land like this like yeah um suspended reality a little bit there you know what i mean um it had that's to... a really good comparison yeah that's and it's it's kind of american in paris too in some respects it's not as fully formed i would say american paris was much more uh, you know, I mean, it's the same kind of an artistic motif of we're going to have some some sets here and some backdrops. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of stagecraft, but but uh, it's it's mostly against a black backdrop for the most part. But it, yeah, you're right. La La Land does very similar things. So she's she's convinced um, Sonny and Danny to open their nightclub and uh, the auditorium. Yeah, so, yeah, and so so they they. Uh, Sonny brings Danny to the auditorium to show it off. Like, here's the space, right? And what do you think we could? And they, they talk about like, okay, well, there's could be a stage there, and a, uh, you know, the band could be over there, and the dance floor is there, and 
and that kind of stuff. And then they there's this sequence called Dancing, which it, it has them talking about their unique visions, their their individual visions of you know Danny McGuire is is talking about 1940s big band. Uh, and you know swing music and Andrew's sisters looking ladies singing in three part harmony, and then Sonny Malone is is looking at uh, you know envisioning uh, like a uh, six guys in in uh, you know neon orange and electronic punk uh, new wave rock and roll uh, totally different kind of a thing. And uh, what what do you think of that sequence there? I thought it was awesome. I I was like at first I was like, oh, they're going to butt heads and there because there's no way you can somehow merge these two very opposite uh, <laughs> styles. It's like, for, yeah, like you said, 40s big band with like roller disco um, synth wave uh, type stuff. And synth wave, yeah. And it, it's it's the tubes. The band there uh, for the 80s music is the tubes who uh, they were famous. Their, their one hit that I know of in the 80s was She's a Beauty, which doesn't particularly you know relate to this the song that they're doing here but it um but they're a legit 80s band basically and uh and so you're right they don't sound like they're both talking about singing about dancing but that's about it right uh and they're kind of going back and forth and then all of a sudden what what do you think they you said that there's no way that they could merge these two and that's literally what they did yeah, they become, you know, they agree to become partners and put on this big musical. And uh, uh, the, and the, so the song, like the, the two different styles of music actually merge together and they sing at the same time. And uh, and then the, the different bandstands actually physically merge together and interlace and the dancers all start to dance together with each other, you know, across the different generations. Yeah, it's one of those... I don't know, man, like another one of those things sort of sums up this movie where I said on paper it shouldn't work like this. Uh, this shouldn't work like the, you know, combining meshing 40s with 80s, uh, mm -hmm. two very, very different ends of the spectrum. And I mean, we have that with Gene Kelly looking back on his film history. It's sort of almost um, autobiographical. It's like, you know, his stuff was more. Um, show tunes and you know um, almost slapstick comedy in some of the some of his stuff and then we flash forward to Olivia Newton-John stuff you know and it's more uh, modern and it's just interesting mesh of things that should not work but they do and this it's really rad like just really cool yeah this is easily i mean i don't know there's a lot of favorite moments in this movie for me but this is this is still the one that impresses me the most because how do you how do you write two halves of a song that you know in two different styles of music um and and, and have it mesh up like that is i'm sure that there are ways to do it and it's probably if i you know if for the for the songwriters out there it's probably relatively easy to do but i sure do marvel at it and so we do eventually get to the point where um, Kira confesses to Sonny and, and reveals that she is his muse um, yeah. and that she can't stay in love with him um, and that she can't stay on Earth. And, and Sonny gets very upset about that, obviously, because he's, he's obsessed. Yeah, he's he's in love with her, and of course, it, of course, she she breaks this to him the night before the 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 <laughs> the, 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 the club opens. But um, and and there is a cool uh, sequence where they go and find they take Gene Kelly to the, they take Danny to a, a a 
an 80s fashion yes to pick out outfits yeah he can't he can't figure out what he's gonna wear and like the mannequins come to life uh yeah that's another really cool there's just so many cool musical numbers in here um that one was really fun too like i I had made a note in my uh phone about that one because they you know they go to pick out his clothes and uh it turns into a musical a whole musical number yeah and that's it seems like a more of a classical musical uh you know uh sequence because you've got uh, the the parts where the mannequins come to life and he's trying out the different clothes uh, and you know doing a little dance in each one that's a little bit different uh, which is pretty cool and of course Gene Kelly can do that right <laughs> no problem and uh, and then there's a, a sequence where all of a sudden he's in a pinball machine and, <laughs> uh, and so there's that uh, that kind of thing as well uh, it's it's I don't know a lot of fun and that's an that's another electric light orchestra song all over the world I was gonna say is, yeah all over the world yeah. and so like he's trying on different um, clothes for different eras and different parts of the world and mm-hmm. it's it's like a um, sort of more modern take of uh like it made me think of it's a small world at disney world like uh, you know not no sense of that (laughs) sounds anything like it but i'm like the theme here is the same type of thing where you know it's like uh we just came here to pick out some clothes and here we go like this is gonna turn in and this was more i felt like uh like you said it's more of a traditional musical so it's more of like I, i think of gene kelly as more traditional and then we get the scenes with the living newton john and uh, Michael Beck as more modern and so like this one was more of the traditional the older style um, mm-hmm. that we have seen in movies before you know and it's, it's just cool the transposition back and forth back and forth and then you know we get some scenes where they combine it's just this movie's really unique in that way I don't I can't think of another movie that that sort of combines the past with the um, present so well and uniquely yeah, and look into the future too, because this is 1980s. So they're they're looking to the 80s and and the you know knowing that disco is is on the way out. They've got some kind of a different aesthetic that they're pulling from. You know, pull you know trying to trying to reach, and they're pulling from the nostalgia of the 40s. Uh, I think you know and the Art Deco and things like that. And uh, I, I think it's it's got some some great uh, results. Yeah, so Sonny, like you said, the the night before the big um, opening, the big number that they've been working so hard on, which, um, and of course that would make a really, that's not the type of movie this is. I was sort of like, oh, we got here really quick. Like it went from, you know, we have this idea to like, we're almost, we're going to open up the show here like tomorrow. I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. we worked really fast, but we don't need to see all that. And uh (laughs) she has left earth she's gone and he's obviously he's he's super bummed sunny is super bummed and he goes to tell danny like i'm i'm out um my muse is gone she's left earth i am heartbroken i can't do this anymore and danny's like you got to keep pursuing her um figure it out Uh, don't give up on this uh like i did uh, because right. his muse left him and you know he's like you know i that we, we've seen in earlier in the film his flashbacks and then we see him now and he sort of that's where we learn a little bit about like what happened to him and and he's encouraging uh sunny to not be like him like don't make the same mistake i did so uh we get a scene where sunny um roller skates into the the mural to go get her that's right uh that's that's uh the elo song the fall which I think is is such a cool song. 
Um, but the idea of him, you know, he he knows where that mule, mural is. He he it's in Venice, and he he just skates right through it. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he is in whatever the the second floor, right, in uh, heaven of some sort. Yeah. Uh, it it uh it looks like something out of. I think it looks. I always thought it looked like something out of Tron, even though you know. And I, I didn't have anything to compare it to before Tron came out, right? It's just the, these these cool glowing bars are the are the the landscape, and and there's stars sparkling up ahead, and then they they're uh, like Kira is there, and then Zeus and Hera are the voices in the sky, and uh, they're trying to get Sunny, you know, trying to send Sunny back to back to Earth, and he's not he's not leaving. Not that he has much of a choice in it, but, right? Uh, you know, he tries to convince them that you know Kira and him are in love and they deserve to be together, and uh, it's it's a funny little uh, f- little little wordplay or trick that the Zeus and Hera don't you know because they're immortal and eternal they don't they don't quite grasp time related uh, words and concepts so like a minute and a century could be interchangeable to them right and or you know a moment or forever could mm-hmm. be interchangeable yep. uh but they go ahead and send sunny back and then they, uh, you know uh kira sings this a- amazing torch song it's it's right up there with hopelessly devoted to you from uh from greece but it uh it's uh sus- suspended in time and uh it's by far my favorite costume of hers my favorite song uh it it just uh, i'm i am getting goosebumps and and wanting to sigh uh you know just by by thinking about it but what'd you think of, was this uh was this a lull for you in the movie was it uh were you were you right there were you just caught up in the romance or what uh oh i was i was completely all aboard there's never like a lull for me in this one um, cool. i always sort of tell or talk about on the show like if i can like keep my phone if I, if I don't check my phone during a movie or check how much longer I have, that's a good sign. And this one, I did neither of those. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. I, I was totally in just because I couldn't believe what I'm seeing. I'm like, well, I mean, we had an animated sequence. We had a um, musical sequence about picking out clothes. I mean, I was like, <laughs> what, what's coming next? You know what I mean? Like, right. you never know what's around the corner in this movie. And I knew we were, we we're getting close to the finale. And I was, I was like, you know, she left him the night before. Come on, and uh, you know now. Now we're like up in the the heavens. It's like the the realm of the gods. I'm like, oh, this movie has it all, man. What, what are we doing up here now? I'm like, you know, I'm just like I said. I you just never know where it's going. So uh, we have this whole this whole moment, and she you know professes her feelings for Sunny, and like you said, her parents decide. Um, okay, you can go back for a moment or however long that is. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, she comes down with the other muses to perform at the grand opening of their, um, big musical Xanadu. Yeah. And so this opening number, uh, with, with Xanadu, uh, it, it's got this, the drums and it's Gene Kelly skating on roller skates, which I didn't realize until I had seen enough Gene Kelly movies to realize, you know, this was no, this was not foreign to him being on roller skates. This is this was not just him succumbing to to a fad from the seventies. He was he he basically made made roller skates cool at some point uh, back in his history there. Yeah, I mean the guy can do could do anything. Uh, yeah, just seeing this and it's like you know uh, just seeing uh, singing in the rain for the first time a few months ago. I'm I'm just amazed by him and 
his longevity. I mean, this is, you know, way after that movie and he's still going. It's, it's sad to know it's his last movie, but um, it, it, him and Olivia Newton-John just bring a certain level of professionalism and charm to this movie because they play mm-hmm. it straight and it shouldn't work, but they are so talented that they make it work. And the music, like, like I said, the ingredients all shouldn't go together. It's like having peanut butter on a burger or something. That's and right. You put it on there and it's like, oh, this is actually really good. Well, when a chef does it, then you trust them enough to be like, oh, well, maybe I'll try it. Exactly. And with, with Gene Kelly doing this, you know, you're, you're right. They play it straight. They don't play it up for camp. Uh, and that's something that, you know, there was a musical that came out in the uh, early 2000s. Uh, uh, they did uh, Xanadu, the musical for Broadway, but they did play it up for camp. And so they, you know, they the the actress wasn't wasn't Australian, but they but she played it with a very thick you know, uh, Australian accent and things like that. And it was unfortunate, you know, because I, I, as a original fan of the movie, I would have rather them just play it straight again. Once again, it was and it was fun the way they did it. But I I thought there's the gravitas of, of Gene Kelly and he doesn't you know, he has not lost a step in this movie. Uh, compared to other stuff. I mean, I'm I'm sure that he would have told you, you know, that there were some things that he physically couldn't do anymore. But those are things that, you know, the normal 20 year old guy couldn't do anyway. Right. So, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and the stuff that he's doing in this movie, there's no way that I could move my body like that. And uh, and I'm I'm definitely not his age, uh, you know, for this. So he, he makes it look so easy. And uh, Olivia Newton-John, when she had danced with him, she, she said that was kind of like the highlight of her life was being able to dance with Gene Kelly on screen. So um, the, the the sequence here that we get for the opening of the club is pretty long. Yeah. And uh, and it's 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 almost all musical up until the end. But it, it kind of runs the gamut. And so the, the different we've obviously got got roller skates. And there's lights in the floor and lights in the walls and it's and there's lights in the stage and a fountain around the stage for a while and a mirror thing that drops down around the stage and and all kinds of like so this is a million dollar set that they put together for this club and uh, then they they stock it with all different kinds of performers there's jugglers obviously there's skaters and dancers there's circus performers right yeah there's like a tightrope walkers and uh, uh, her name's Dizzy Heights, I think, but uh, it's a uh, uh, like one of those uh, acrobats who just like straps her head in a in a little pivoted rope thing, and and she'll just spin forever, uh, <laughs> suspended from the ceiling, and like all of that. And then right. you've got you've got <laughs> Olivia Newton-John singing a an ELO song, Xanadu. Uh, just in it's it's so. It's it's over the top in all the right ways, I think, right? Yeah, I mean, it comes to a you know a, a big. This is as big of a finale as you can get. Like we've had some awesome musical numbers leading up to this, and we've even had some that combined the two different eras. But this is like everything in the in the uh, you know everything thrown into a blender. Every like mm-hmm. like a, sort of like that. I've talked about this movie the entire time. Is like we have just so many ingredients but this is like my you know your eyes are going all over the place like what like i said what's gonna show up next oh a tightrope walker okay we got a <laughs> juggler we got someone on skates um how do you know just to, to think about and so i've talked about this on singing in the rain too it's like to think about the amount of work and probably the amount of takes it took and all the choreography mm-hmm. and getting everyone in their place um 
you know, people think of think of this as like, you know, a, a movie that inspired the Razzies did this or that, you know, and it's like, man, you, you, people don't realize how much work has to go and uh, go into just making this happen. I can understand why the budget what you know, balloons so much because right. this is such a huge epic landscape. This this whole club scene itself is like the you know, as much as probably um a, a regular movie at that time it's just so many yeah. people there that you have to pay that all have to be uh have a certain skill uh mm-hmm. you know it's not like you could just cast extras you got to cast somebody who knows how to do these things they all have to actually be skilled dancers and know where their place is um yeah man. dancer dancing on skates which <laughs> right know. it's a whole different yeah skill um i i think um there are a few things that are that are really cool i didn't obviously realize when i was younger growing up uh, growing up but uh loving this movie as an adult uh, i start you know catching other people being fans of it as well and showing just little snippets and pretty almost everybody of the dancers not all the performers but the dancers in this in this sequence are are almost all of them are somewhere else in the movie as well they're in the they're in the 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 clothing store or their mu- you know uh, all of the muses are here mm-hmm. um and uh you know helping her dance at some point and 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 stuff like that so it's uh you know even eventually sunny's co-workers are uh, show up to to help you know with the opening night and everything like that this is basically you know i mean this is kira's and sunny's last night together it was kind of how it's you know they're enjoying they're enjoying the, the like opening live, night as live it last up. night together. Yeah, live exactly. it up. Yeah, and so then we have she she takes the stage and and uh, with her sisters and does like this tap number to a synthesizer thing that's kind of cool. And then you got uh, like a they they all of a sudden switch to to like a rock and roll uh, number with uh, with like they're all in tiger print vinyl outfits <laughs> yeah. and, and which is awesome. And then uh, and then like country music and then snap into uh like this futuristic alien slash angel kind of uh thing nowadays it, it reminds me of something out of bill and ted and their future <laughs> yep, i can see and, that yeah uh, and so the that that outfit when she walks up and is singing xanadu for the last time right there she's got like these blue streamers in her hair and things like that she's in this weird gold robe and it's almost something out of uh out of star trek you know or something like that but that was always my favorite outfit of hers for some reason uh until until i got older and I'm like that's eh, a little i don't know like i don't know that that appeals to me anymore but but the the what she tra- transforms into it for the very end which is you know that white frilly dress off the shoulder that's with the leg warmers that's 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 kira and xanadu to me that'll always be olivia newton john to me it's 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 fantastic, but it's it's a great finale, and uh, then she all of a sudden disappears. And yeah, it's it's a sad sort of. I mean, we knew it was coming. We don't know when because you know we, we like you said we hear uh, her parents say you know a moment or maybe forever, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, she she's at the end of the finale. She's gone. Uh, she's returns to the realm, and uh, Sunny's obviously sad, but. Uh, then we sort of get a fun little twist. He sees a waitress that looks exactly like her, and he stops to ask her to talk. And uh, you know, it's not not sort of an open ending, but um, not quite. Yeah, roll, roll credits, and and uh, yeah. So Danny calls her over, and he and he kind of he kind of 
he kind of looks like he's in on it a little bit. He's at least in on the joke in a way, whether it's whether he actually is or not uh, is an interesting question to to ponder, I guess. And is that actually Kira or is that right? Um, you know, is that like is it like Meg Ryan in in Joe versus the volcano, where just every woman that he's attracted to looks looks the same, or or you know, yeah, I guess we'll never know, right? Yeah, it's like uh, the end of the thing. It's like which is is uh, is he the thing, or you know, who's the thing? Who's actually you know? It's it's a open ending, but uh, it was man, what a finale! And I I feel like we hear so many people talk about like you know, the gen gen Z or whatever they or uh, they can't pay attention to anything over like 15 seconds, you know, and like, that's why we had uh, these streaming services that, you know, have such short little attention spans and people can't pay attention. I'm like, then set them down and make them watch this movie because uh, there is it just goes from one thing to the next. It doesn't have any fat on it. Um, and even in within scenes there, you just you never know what's going to come up. And that's what I loved <laughs> about this. I was constantly surprised by this movie. Uh, what a fun blast. This one is man. Well, I'm, I'm so glad you, you enjoyed it. I've, I've, I've shown it to some people that are like, well, it was fun, but it wasn't exactly great. I'm like, well, I didn't show it to you because it, I thought it was great. I mean, I will talk it up because I absolutely adore it, but I don't, you know, I, I understand in some respects why it was helped, you know, helped inspire the Razzies. But, but at the same time, I, I don't think it deserves the, you know, the just the straight up panning and like, you know, being cast aside as as some afterthought like uh, the, you know, I think it absolutely deserves the cult status that it is it is, uh, you know, acquired over the years and more. I always say, you know, I've, I I don't remember who I'm sure it's been said a million times. I always uh, accredit it to Joe Bob Briggs, but he always sort of said the worst uh, crime a movie can commit is being boring. Like the only thing yeah. worse than a bad movie is a boring movie. And this is not a bad or boring movie. Um, I could I can I can understand why um, some people I, I wouldn't even say people should pan it. I, I think it's it's a wild ride of a movie. Um, it shouldn't work, but it does work. And for the things that you know it's we'll, we'll get into it here a little bit on the stuff that i found on the on imdb um sure i always look up the trivia and i'm sure you have some stuff you know about it because you know this is one of your favorites but um according this is one that you've already mentioned according to livia newton john the script was written during filming so they were still finalizing it as they were going um but it's it has a basic skeleton to the story and you know the musical numbers outside of that you know it's it's not like it's um you know a tarantino film or something so it's not to me that noticeable i don't know yeah it's not you know it doesn't demand a super tight script right and which is apparently good because it didn't have it (laughs) um the uh but it was you know the the general plot is you know similar it's it's kind of based on the 1947 film down to earth that had uh, Rita Hayworth and uh, at playing as, as a muse that comes down to earth. And, um, and then uh, Gene Kelly's character, Danny McGuire was uh, like, it basically was practically a sequel to him in cover girl. Like it, like Danny McGuire, the character played by Gene Kelly in the movie cover girl was, uh, you know, owned a nightclub and stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, once again, these callbacks to, to old Hollywood, but it, it, it's just, 
playing off of this 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 inspiration of boy this is the stuff that we've enjoyed uh you know in in our past in our history and this is where we want to you know we want to take that and uh kind of remix it and and go into the future with it yeah the soundtrack was an enormous success the song magic went to number one on the u.s pop singles chart in the uk the soundtrack album peaked at number two and the single xanadu was number one for two weeks in july yeah. of 1980 so uh even if the movie didn't do well which is it's surprising i mean it doesn't surprise me that the soundtrack did so well but you would think um people just because they love the music would go check out the movie it, it's crazy to think that number one album and then just not a great turnout for the film itself yeah i agree i think that uh i think that it suffered from you know there was there was a point where it wasn't making enough opening weekend and so it ended up not being carried you know too much longer after that in a lot of theory theaters so um you know sometimes you start and i don't know uh you would know a lot better than me but uh you know sometimes you would start in a you know a smaller number of theaters and then assuming that it did well enough then it would expand for the next week or two right um and and that didn't happen with this and so they didn't they couldn't they couldn't get that yeah it sort of failed at takeoff so it didn't even get um a chance to really to do well right but i mean where people obviously i i discovered this with my parents when it came out and and kind of part partly because of the soundtrack and partly because we were following olivia newton john from greece um but uh, then then this really hit the cult following with you know, with vhs and uh it was on it was on cable uh, you know a little bit but i think it was mostly home video uh which is interesting uh, in and of itself because it wasn't it, you know, like you were talking about maybe a, a, a deluxe Blu-ray edition and it's never really gotten that. Okay. Um, you know, maybe in, maybe in the UK it has, but not in America. It, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just never quite gotten the love that you would expect based, you know, it's, it's just the people that love it absolutely adore it. And, uh, everybody else either doesn't even know about it or, you know, just writes it off for some reason. Yeah, I mean, it has when after I watch it, you know, like I said, I, I stayed off of the Internet, um, did not want to read into it, didn't want to watch the trailer. Didn't I wanted to go in as blind as I could uh, just because oh, it's great. a rare opportunity. So um, when I started to read about it afterwards, you know, I'm like, how did I miss this? Because it does have a cult following. And, you know, I'm on like Letterboxd and several of my friends have it listed in, you know, as their, one of some of their top films and stuff. So it's, mm -hmm. it, it it gets a lot of love. It seems like. And it's sort of typical of cult classics that like cinephiles really love this kind of stuff. Like um, it's a moment in film history that is celebrated amongst people who just love film. So, yeah. And, you know, w one thing that I noticed, this was obviously, you know, I, I caught this through in my formative years the first time. Uh, and so it didn't really I haven't needed to reflect on it at all uh, or compare it to anything that, you know, the world that came before you know to the world that came after and things like that but you know at this point the last time i was watching it, i really noticed that you know the the vision of the 80s that this that this movie was was putting forth and kind of where they were coming from so uh you know they're coming from the 70s into the 80s and I think that what we're seeing from is kind of that auditorium, right? Mm -hmm. And it's run down at the beginning of the movie. It's abandoned, basically. There's a bunch of junk in there. It's dark. It's, you know, dusty and everything. 
And, uh, you know, that's kind of what the 70s were, I think, is what the movie's kind of stating. Because, uh, you know, boy, back in the 40s, everything was so awesome. And then what happened, you know? Because uh, that, that building actually came out, uh, was built in the, like, 37. And, uh, you know, by the time it, the 70s hit, it had just become run down, abandoned, you know, neglected. And so then this vision of the future with the 80s was not like any, like, it wasn't, it wasn't my idea of a roller disco, right? It wasn't Saturday Night Fever. It right. wasn't, you know, anything like that. There were certainly elements, right, with the light-up floor, things like that. But it was, uh, you know, some, the wide lapels and the hairstyles. But it was also just this different futuristic feel, and it was optimistic and bright and clear and I don't know. What, what uh, do you have anything to say about that? I, I agree. I mean, it has its own. It's it's so unique on its own. Like there's, it, I think maybe the time it came out, 1980. Um, we are transitioning from the 70s to the 80s, so it falls like perfectly where it's not the big, uh, the the big like you said lapels, and it's it's not. It doesn't have that the uh, so much campiness of some of the 70s stuff, but it also isn't like straight up 80s like if i watching this i i did not know what year it came out but i was like mm -hmm. either this is late 70s or early 80s and that weird transitional time between the two um and you know it, it's a it's a product of its time but it's not it doesn't feel as dated as stuff that's actually um newer than this movie yeah and if you were trying to be nostalgic about 1980 you wouldn't come across you know nowadays you would not you know most designers unless they were trying to be like xanadu they would not come up with a Xanadu aesthetic. They would be, no. you know, they would either be 70s or 80s or some mix of the two, but it would be gritty. You know, it would be like the movie Joker, right? Or something mm -hmm. like that. And um, and this this movie is just bright and it's it's uh, wide eyed and uh, just I don't know. There's there's a naivete to it. And that at the same time, it's like, you know what? We we've we've been here before as well and we've been we've been optimistic we've been joyful and happy and you know post-war era right um let's celebrate and let's have fun and that's the, i think a lot of what this movie is about yeah i have uh some interesting uh some casting stuff that i found online which oh great uh i thought was very interesting Andy Gibb, the younger brother of the Bee Gees, was, they said, was originally cast. I don't know if he's actually cast or was um, just sort of looked at for the role, but they did not go with him. Um, for, for Sonny? For Sonny, yep. And then yeah, there, were, there were a couple others that, that were almost Sonny, right? Yeah, John Travolta turned down the role of Sonny as he was uh, working on Urban Cowboy, which came out yeah. that year. And then... Um, Peter Frampton was one of Olivia Newton-John's top choices for the role of Sonny, but Universal wouldn't allow him to be in the cast due to the critical and commercial failure of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Now, I saw that too, and I, 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 I neglected to bring that up, but I'm glad that you brought it up. Do you know what that's talking about? Have you, are you familiar with that movie? No, I'm not. Okay, so, uh, you know, obviously the Beatles had the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and... Uh, in 1978, I think it was, the Bee Gees, the three Bee Gees, and Peter Frampton did a movie. And it was a Beatles movie, basically. It was like A Hard Day's Night or other things. Um, but it was Sgt. Pepper's. And it had George Burns, and it had all kinds of other folks in there. And uh, it had uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire doing Gotta Get You Into My Life, if you know that cover. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, that's where that's from. And uh, it's 
uh, uh, Donald Pleasance is in it. Wow. <laughs> it's uh, uh, actually, you know, let me let me correct correct me if I'm wrong on that one. It's somebody like Donald Pleasance if it's not. Okay. But it's um, it is crazy. It is bonkers. Um, and so I can get why that's another one of my favorite movies. And yet at that one especially compared to Xanadu, I totally get why you know it didn't do well because that movie is bonkers but it's also supposed to be this one is just fun yeah i also i'm reading that um david naughton was considered for the part of sonny malone after i'm a pepper yeah yeah after director robert greenwald and uh producer joel silver had seen him in the dr pepper commercials but he was unavailable as he was working on midnight madness now let me ask you if you've seen that one because that's another favorite of mine no i haven't that is a heck of a movie and at some point like i don't know if i'll be invited on again or maybe we'll bring of course you on. yeah but the midnight Mad- madness now it's owned by disney i can't remember if it, i don't think disney produced it originally but i think they bought somebody that had originally made it but that includes david naughton it includes a very young michael j fox uh it it has eddie deason who is the uh, eugene from greece <laughs> wow it has uh stephen first as the bad guy and uh, uh if you know him from uh as uh, flounder from animal house okay yeah so uh it's uh it's one of those it's um it's uh yeah it's it's that is a raucous good time and and crazy as well but not a musical but a lot of fun as obviously i know david Naughton from uh, american werewolf in london that's yes, like yes. the first thing i recognize him from but uh steven steve gutenberg griff Griffin Dune and Michael Bain also auditioned for the role. I, yeah, I can't imagine Michael Bain or uh, Griffin, <laughs> D- Griffin Dunn. I guess I I know I only know Griffin Dunn really from um, uh, who's that girl? Yeah, uh, in the later later eighties, but or mid eighties. But um, yeah, Michael Bain. I don't know if he if he could do the same. I mean, there's a reason he wasn't cast. I guess right. Yeah, that'd be interesting known. just to see his audition though. To to have that kind of a lighthearted like I haven't seen him in anything that ha- where that where he hasn't been really like intense. deadly serious yeah, yeah super intense so yeah I mean <laughs> uh, you think of you know who got cast it's like I I know him from the Warriors where he was pretty serious so I guess I don't know but he That's also has he also it's has called acting for a reason right but he also sort of has a pretty boy look where um Michael Bain doesn't at all like he has a tough guy look he's he plays a tough guy for a reason because he looks fucking tough so. Mm-hmm. Okay, so He's really good at it. Yeah, exactly. So Olivia Newton-John fractured her cox while filming the dance sequence. Co- co- coccyx. It's coccyx. her tailbone. Okay. Uh, so she yeah fractured her tailbone while fi- filming the dance sequence suddenly. Um, and Olympic skater Pe- Peggy Fleming helped plan the skating scenes. So that's cool. They had an Olympic skater um, helping out. That's pretty cool. And, and I think that shows uh, because it's got more of a flow to it as opposed to uh i mean it, there's there's a there's a performative aspect to it and not just a you know getting around and and doing little dance numbers uh you know well yeah it changes everything when you're gliding like that i mean not only yeah. for the people doing it it takes a whole different set of skills but it also um you're you're constantly moving like it's almost impossible to stop on them so it takes a a certain flow to go with it and it's you know i imagine uh that having her on set helped significantly mhm um, Gene Kelly and Olivia Newton-John's dance number was shot after filming had finished. Kelly yeah. choreographed it. His conditions included a closed set with only himself, Olivia Newton-John, a cameraman, and a choreographer he had befriended, and two others. 
Yeah, like imagine the director not being allowed <laughs> when your two stars are on screen doing a huge dance number together. But I mean, if I were if I were the director, if I were uh, as a Robert Greenwald, yeah. Right? Uh, if I were him, I would have been like, oh, Gene Kelly's going to help direct my movie. Right. Uh, step yes, aside. <laughs> exactly. Step aside. As much as he wants to do, let him do it. Yeah. Because uh, it was, I'm sure, you know, he's he's a perfection. You know, you were talking on, on your um, Singing in the Rain episode about how, how much of a perfectionist, how demanding he was as a director on that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of really turning people off uh, because of how demanding he was. I'm positive that he was not uh, particularly uh, easy to work with, you know, from a from a director standpoint, uh, working on this movie. I'm sure he I mean, Olivia Newton-John has only good things to say about him, but uh, I'm sure he was like, no, this if I'm going to do a dance number, I'm going to do it like this and you're going to trust me to do it. And, you know, if I'm going to do a sequence with Olivia Newton-John, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly how it needs to be shot just leave me to it and leave me alone. Yep. <laughs> but it was, it was, it was done after, you know, kind of like uh, the animated sequence was done after um, they realized they had one song left over. This one was one that the song had to be written because they realized that they didn't have a number where Gene Kelly and Livy Newton, John were, were singing it together in the entire movie. It hadn't been done. Uh, and so like, well, you know what? We should probably have the two leads, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, two, the two big names, uh, doing a number together. And so they 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 not only wrote the 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 scene, but they wrote the uh, they wrote the song, uh, whenever you're away from me, which is fantastic duet. Mm-hmm. It's just gorgeous. The the and the the band orchestration that, that goes with it with the with the brass and everything, and then they they do the the dance, you know, the tap dancing and the. It, it's it it looks like it is straight out of the 40s and uh i mean obviously he directed it and, uh but it's 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 just it's it's stellar yeah it was this movie was meant to launch olivia newton john's career as a solo star but due to its failure at the box office it became the one and only time she received top billing without a co-star in a theatrical mm-hmm. release so sad because like i i grew up with an older i have an older sister and she is huge into Greece. So that movie, you know, my I have an older brother and older sister, and um, I didn't get the remote until, you know, much later in life. So I pretty much <laughs> watched what they watched, and I was born in 85, so I, I hesitate to say I'm an 80s kid because, you know, you don't remember the first You're several right years there, of your yeah. life. But um, into the 90s, we continued watching uh, 70s and 80s stuff, and, you know, my brother was big, like, Karate Kid Goonies, uh, that kind of stuff, and my sister was big into Greece. So it was so like... So you were still brought up right right so i i those that kind of stuff i didn't know at the time was um old it was just what was on tv so uh you know olivia newton john was a big name in our house i was like oh you know her and and travolta are are as big as it gets as far as musicals go that's right well you know uh, i i always she's she will always be my first crush between this and and uh and greece and uh, I, I, my first dog I got when I was about three years old, right around when this movie came out, probably a little before that. And uh, I got to name her, and I named her Sandy. Uh-huh. Uh, she was a she was a, a West Howland White Terrier, so the the name didn't mean anything to, to her <laughs> appearance, but I named her after after the character in Greece. 
So she turned down roles in Can't Stop the Music and the Blues Brothers to star in this. What do you think she she? I can only imagine that she was the Twiggy. Uh, that she was going to be that that Twiggy role in uh, the Blues Brothers, or yeah. do you think she was Carrie Fisher? I have no idea. I was trying to figure that out myself because uh, I couldn't really find any more information as far as what she was offered. What's funny is when I when I first watched that movie, the first few times, I didn't realize that was not Olivia Newton-John. Yeah, because uh, Twiggy looks a, a lot like her. I mean, so that makes but, sense. Yeah, that would make yeah. most sense. Uh, Gene Kelly took part of Danny McGuire simply because filming was a short drive from his Beverly Hills home, so he didn't have far to go. So he's like, "I'll do it. Screw it." They probably offered him a lot of money too. Uh, well, yeah, they probably offered him uh, more than they could afford and probably not as much, definitely not as much as he was worth, I'm sure. But yeah, imagine being like, you know, like he was probably going to say no, going to say no, going to say no. It's like, well, it's too far. No, dang it. It's not too far away from my house. <laughs> I guess I have to do it. Yeah, he's like, I can walk there on my lunch break, you know, and go home on my lunch break and eat at home. And, you know, it's, it's well, convenient. It, it made all the difference in the world to have him in it. I can't imagine having just some, you know, generic older actor, right? Uh, right. Trying to be trying to play Danny McGuire in this. It just would not have the same uh, same feel, the same joy and the same, you know, just finesse and flair and professionalism to that character and, and his dancing, especially. Absolutely. It brought a whole different level of professionalism and uh, seriousness to the movie. Um, mm -hmm. The These are a few that you mentioned, but they're worth repeating. The set of the Xanadu Club cost a million to build on its own. And uh, this film, playing as a 99-cent double feature with Can't Stop the Music, inspired John Wilson to create the Golden Raspberry Award, honoring the worst achievement in film. Um, <laughs> Robert Greenwald later won the first Worst Director Razzie Award. Yeah, yeah, he, he won Worst Director, but I think it was Can't Stop the Music that right. won the, the, the worst, worst Picture, which kind of blows my mind. But uh, I have, I, to be fair, I haven't seen Can't Stop the Music, so... I haven't seen uh, it either, so... And I haven't seen The Apple, and apparently that's another you know, quote unquote roller disco movie that came out around the same time, which um, actually looking at the trailer looks pretty good. Uh, looks interesting. I, I, th I always thought it was interesting when I grew up with this movie, I never thought of it as a roller disco movie. And and people are like, well, you know, there's roller skates. So, and they're, it's, it's a club in the late seventies. So yeah, it's, but it it's a roller disco. It like, doesn't focus on it though. It's not, that's not what it's about really. Not at all. And it's not, they're not playing disco music at all. So right. it's just, yeah, um, I think, you know, and to to their credit, that was one thing that they did right, because they 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 were, you know, planning this movie as, an, as a, another roller disco movie. And then disco died, basically, before they and could so get it out. Yeah, before they could get it out. But they they were able to to react quickly enough to, to make it not a disco movie. And I think that made all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Um this is another one you mentioned earlier, but it's it's so wild. Joel Silver notoriously held one of his screenwriters uh, to ransom for three days against his will. He said, the son of a bitch wouldn't deliver, uh, so I locked him in. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know if it was before that or after that, but Joel Silver actually had gotten fired from the studio on this movie, and then he he ended up coming back to work for, for one of the other producers or the... Uh, 
whatever it was that so he ended up getting fired and rehired to this right yeah i had read that i didn't have this one in my notes but yeah he had gotten fired and then um a new producer was brought on to the project that was friends with him and so that's what it was the new producer brought him in yeah right uh so that's pretty awesome he he held someone against their will and then still got to be on the movie so never happened now (laughs) but um this movie famously received the one sentence review in a word xana don't uh, and Variety's review of this film called Olivia Newton-John's character a roller skating light bulb. Oh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I, I was wondering <laughs> that too. I'm like, is that an insult? I sort of I sort of like that. Like that's almost, uh, you know, I, I sort mean, of agree with it. She's a beacon of light. You know, she's and she, and she's got the halo and stuff and a lot of the things. You know, the aura or whatever. So yeah, I can think of a lot worse things to call her. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I thought she was. A, pure joy in this movie i mean she she and you know like i don't think she is gonna you know obviously she didn't win any oscars for for her acting in this but i thought that she had to she had to pull off being otherworldly and yet down to earth and lovable and flirtatious and then she gets into like sarcasm and you know poking fun at sunny in ways that like you know are that she's in control of the situation entirely. Like she's, you know, he's, he's coming up to her trying to kind of find out more about her. And as she's skating around, you know, in the darkness and, and she's just like being a smart ass to him. It's, it's, it's great. Um, I, th- I think she does a great job. Obviously she, she's got me, um, you know, <laughs> uh, completely transfixed. But, yeah. You know. Wrapped around her finger. Um, it's it's interesting because growing up, like I just knew her from Greece and I never really thought of her as just a musical artist. Like we have, right. I mean, it still happens today where we have actresses that go into, try to get into music and, and musicians who try to get into acting. And there's only a small handful that are successful at both. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. I just always thought of her as an actress. And then like looking back, it's like, well, she was actually a musician that, you know, got put into movies and she's, you know, better than I think people give her credit for. And especially in this, I mean, to, to crap on her in this, like, this is, this is fun, man. Like, I I don't know. Just why were people so mean about it? It's, it's a lot of, it's a blast. Come on, just enjoy things. Yeah. I mean, it's a, once again, like it's a fantasy movie and if people don't realize that or they don't accept it and take that to heart, then, Oh, you know, I, I can imagine why you didn't like it because you thought you were expecting, you know, taxi driver or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but yeah, <laughs> like you know, it's it, it's it's about a, a Greek muse coming down. Like, there's it's it's not a serious premise to begin with. So, like once again, the rest of it is played straight, but the the actual setup is is you know ridiculous and and over the top and it and but you play the rest straight and it's it's a it's they do a really good job and it's it's entrancing i only had a few more facts or um i guess yeah quote facts um apart from the title track none of electric light orchestra songs were actually composed specifically for the film but had in fact already been written as potential yellow recordings by jeff lynn before the band were approached by the film's producer so they had uh, some of these, some most of these songs in the bank besides the title track, um, which I don't know. Like that's a whole different conversation. But um, you know, when you're when you're a musician, I think that's pretty common. Like if you are asked to score a movie, um, you know, some some of it 
it's not like you're asking John Williams to, to score star Wars and he, he had these in his back pocket or something, you know, this <laughs> right. is an actual band that put out music that was not known for movies. And, uh, they approached them and I love it when, uh, we get like popular musicians, uh, making music and, and original music and scores for movies. I I've, that's always intrigued me. Oh, exactly. I mean, you get, uh, uh, Ed Sheeran who did, uh, that, uh, um i see fire in the uh for the the second hobbit movie uh the track for that was pretty cool uh just different different stuff like that but uh and then you get like queen for the highlander and uh and flash gordon flash gordon of course and so i i love i mean electric light orchestra was perfect for this right uh and and i wish they'd done more uh, they probably didn't get a chance to do more more movie scores because of this and and the, the way it, it uh, resulted but um uh, what i thought was was cool i didn't the the song mr blue sky i've been an elo fan since the soundtrack came out right mm-hmm. but i never i had never really heard mr blue sky for whatever reason until um yeah I presumably heard bits and pieces of it, but until Guardians of the Galaxy two, yeah, um, with that opening sequence where where you know B- Baby Groot's dancing to Mister Blue Sky, I had never really listened to it, and then I was listening to the album, and the it it the regular song is done, and then there's a coda at the end, which. I swear to God, sounds exactly like, you know, it could have gone straight into this, the, the title track for this, the Xanadu. It, it sounds, I mean, go back and listen to the, the last 30 seconds of Mr. Blue Sky. Uh, and it, it sounds like it's from Xanadu. Well, it's cool when like movies can bring, like you said, in Guardians of the Galaxy and to the uh, awesome mixes that James Gunn has put together, like brought new life to these songs for young audiences who are, you know, not even necessarily us, but like uh, a young watcher who just likes loves Marvel movies and they're getting a dose of good music. And it's like, OK, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's cool to see like they bring them back up on the billboard charts and stuff. And I mean, this goes way back. I mean, you have uh, Bohemian Rhapsody got back on the charts because of Wayne's World, you know, that's right. uh, and stuff like that. It's just it's like the power of a film. And that that's why I was sort of surprised uh, that this movie like reading that the the soundtrack did so well it's like again that the movie didn't do financially well it's just it's wild because these i know these songs you know i've heard these songs before and i hadn't heard yeah. xanadu but i i'm familiar with elo's work and um just a great mesh of of movies and music and you know it's like somehow we're getting trent reznor he, he's doing pixar movies now who would have thought the guy <laughs> from right. nine inch nails would be doing pixar but it works perfect it's really cool yeah it works way better than you'd think it would. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, that tradition continues and, and I'm glad that, you know, we still get cool stuff like that. I mean, even like every Bond movie, you know, we get a new song by a modern artist. That's really cool. So, uh, yeah. though the film originally flopped, it has since achieved cult status and is quite popular with gay audiences. So it has like a really <laughs> far, a really um, strong gay following to LGBTQ. And that's cool. That is cool. Uh, what's funny is as I was as I was uh, coming of age, I that that factoid uh, and reputation made made a lot of people think about me, think things about me, and I had to I just I struggled with things myself about like okay, what is my identity and things like that. <laughs> like, well, I like Xanadu, so maybe. And like, but it's no, like, but I, but I love I, Olivia Newton John. So <laughs> Olivia, I mean, I'm sure that you know even even the the 
the the gay folks that are that are in and love this movie love Olivia Newton John too, but just different reasons. Right. But I didn't really think about that, but no, no, no. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's definitely my first and best crush in, in a lot of ways. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> I'll, I'm if she makes it somehow into like the hour and a half of this podcast, you're going to be, you know, um, you're going to be given up. So I'll be uh, in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so did you have any final thoughts as we sort of wrap up this episode? Oh, well, I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. I, I was really, you know, anytime that I introduce uh, this movie in particular to, to people, I, you know, it, it's, it's tough for me to, to gauge what the reaction is going to be in. You know, usually I don't recommend things to to people unless I unless I do know them well enough to like you will like this. You will enjoy this movie, you you know, uh, and I didn't know you well enough to know that you would like it. And I'm so glad that you um, that you did. And I, I hope that your wife uh, enjoys it as well. It's I I wonder to you whether it would like I, I'm I'm pretty sure that I listened to the soundtrack for a month before going to see this movie. Do you think that it would have been better to listen to the soundtrack and 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 become a fan of that first before you saw it or or were no, you No, I think the way I went into it not knowing anything uh is the perfect like the perfect way for, as as far as me personally consuming something um especially something like this uh completely out of left field. I I did not know of its cult status. I did not know who was in it. I saw the poster when I looked mm-hmm. it up to uh watch it but other than that the going into didn't it, tell you much right and the name itself is like okay is this this has to be like a futuristic type things and to do okay cool like I, i'm not sure what i'm getting into but that's exciting <laughs> because most of the time um and like i've i've pulled back the curtain several times um you know i have this running uh letterbox list of of movies that i've been checking off that i haven't seen and when this show started people you know i really like re- showing movies to other people but it's sort of uh, been a nice exercise in me seeing new things. And, uh, I was just, this wasn't on my radar at all. And for you to just pick it up and it's one of your favorites. Uh, and for me to, to grab onto it, like I said, this is going in my like pile of movies that, um, are always going to be in consideration for my, my, uh, surprise double feature. Cause, uh, I think this would be something that would be a blast to watch with an unsuspecting audience. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, yeah. I've, I've done like Miami connection and troll two and, and those are actually, oh you know, especially troll two is actually bad, bad, but it's entertaining. But this, this is, you know, I've shown some really good ones too. And, uh, this is one that would, is just a, a fun movie that I think, um, would be a blast to experience with a crowd once that can happen again. Well, that's, yeah, that's super high praise for sure. I, I think, um, uh, I think it's, it's great to, have that that idea of being surprised by a movie and even if you do know something about it even you know even if you've heard even if you listen through all of this this hour and a half and so now you have a fairly good idea what this movie is about if you haven't seen it yet before you press play just kind of you know this is kind of a movie defenders sort of thing just wipe your wipe your brain of everything clear you know do the jedi mind trick or whatever and clear your clear your mind of of thoughts about the movie and then just let it wash over you the first time and uh, you know no expectations just 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 love it absolutely and and you know i always try to get uh people to do this so i figured i'll ask you is there any confessions of uh films that you have never <laughs> seen on your list that you need to watch like it's it's been fun to hear um 
my guest uh, last week had never seen um, Escape from New York. I have, you know, I have huge ones on my list. Um, people are surprised I've never seen a Bond film and I've never seen a Lord of the Rings film. But um, that's pretty impressive that you, you <laughs> made it that long uh, with without either of those uh, huge franchises. Right. Right. Um, especially Bond. But I um, I would say my biggest ones that I haven't seen and I I, I can't even tell you why. Uh, the the classics are like Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia. Um, well, shit, because you don't have six hours. I mean, that's probably well, a good reason. But I no, I mean, honestly, that's not the reason. <laughs> I would, I would, I would easily be able to watch other stuff, and it's it's just that I've never, yeah, I've never had the time and the opportunity at the same time. Let's put it that way. Um, and certainly, you know, or, or I've never had the, the time and the opportunity and the inclination. I've had two out of the three, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, mean, yeah, th- those are the, those are the three that I, I think that would, or sorry, the two that I'd really, um, I regret not seeing yet. Um, you know, things we, we mentioned, the, I mentioned the Apple, um, uh, that is, uh, seems like a fairly bonkers, uh, movie from that time frame. uh, that, seems like it's the anti Xanadu in a lot of ways. Um, you know, in, in some respects, uh, all, doing the movie defenders podcast for whatever reason, we're starting to find a lot of movies that I have never seen before. Uh, you know, I had never uh, up until, uh, this time last year, I had never seen, uh, any of the John wick movies. I had never seen any of the blade movies with Wesley Snipes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stuff like that. And, and so we've caught up to the first two of each of those trilogies now. Um, but it's just amazing how many, like how many movies have come across that like, you know, Scott and I are, have been friends for 30, <laughs> 35 years now. And, uh, you know, I always thought that we had seen, you know, that we overlapped on most things and we we overlap on a lot. But there's plenty that he has seen and assumes that I have seen and I haven't. So, well, yeah, that's sort of one of my goals on here is just to, you know, not only show people some stuff, but I've I've just been exposed to some great stuff. Like I would never, ever find Xanadu on my own. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, having you on to do it is great. So um, where can people find the movie Defenders? Where can they listen? Great. Uh, yeah, we're, we're um, facebook.com slash movie defenders. Uh, any podcast app of your choice, movie defenders podcast. Um, uh, you know, libsyn.com slash movie defenders is where, where our actual hosting is. So you can find any of our shows there. Patreon.com slash movie defenders. Uh, we've got a, a separate, uh, second podcast that we do just for patron supporters. Uh, it only takes a dollar a month to, to get that, uh, second podcast where we, we just kind of go and riff and we're not necessarily talking about any one movie. Um, so those are probably the biggest ones. Yeah, get that Patreon out there. Uh, you also got you guys have a, a really cool Facebook group that is, um, you know, Attack of the Killer podcast. We have a group and it's horror stuff. And I sort of started this podcast because I love a lot of stuff that's not horror. So I've been uh, peeking in on that group. I'm trying to avoid spoilers because uh, some of the stuff you guys have covered recently I haven't seen. But your Facebook group for discussion is really cool, too, because you just have a lot of like-minded people uh chatting about stuff and you guys have had some incredible guests on your show i think you need to uh let people know about a few of your guests because uh if you're listening to this and you haven't heard their show um they have some big names on there 
Uh, wow. Uh, well, we've got a couple of, uh, of, um, uh, employees of Lucasfilm and, uh, yes. uh now, um, uh, Lucasfilm animation and, uh, industrial light and magic, uh, that, um, uh, we had through a connection or a, a mutual friend and, uh, Alex and Alexis, and they have worked on anything from, uh, the rise of Skywalker to the Mandalorian to, um, you know, the, the last Terminator movie, uh, dark, uh, dark fate. And so, um, uh, Captain Marvel and they're working on other stuff. Uh, the, the new, uh, bad batch star Wars, uh, animation. That's I think supposed to be coming out probably in the next year. And, uh, so we have a few different, um, episodes where we've interviewed them talking about, uh, the Mandalorian or, uh, stool, cool stuff like that. So, so yeah, I'm not trying to say that, um, you and Scott are not exciting, but uh, if people need an incentive to go listen to your show uh, outside of that, I mean, having people on the inside that make this stuff is, is really cool and unique, too. So um, some fascinating stuff on those episodes. Those guys hearing it from from that perspective is really unique. Yeah, as you as you well know, I mean, having having industry insiders that that actually do the work um, and, and know how hard it is to 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 get ideas from you know script to screen is uh it's a great insight for for an audience and and i just benefit from it so much just being able to to you know hang on their every word absolutely so go listen to the movie defenders uh great podcast thanks so much for picking this movie today what a great topic for my podcast uh and like i said i can't wait to introduce this one to more people well thank you so much for having me and this is yeah uh if 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 there's a movie that is a first time for a lot of people, this is this is a great one to to watch for the first time. Yes, and I I'm hoping you know eventually we can get back in theaters. Have you seen Xanadu in a theater? Oh, it has been it has been since 1980 for but, sure. But you so, did, but you did see yeah. it. Okay, I was gonna say that to me is always like my favorite thing is to to watch a movie like this with a group so it'd be fun to revisit this like i said with a group setting and and uh just love seeing people's reactions i think this one would get a lot of uh great laughs and and you know just be a blast to watch with the crowd so if i ever do get to show this one i know it's quite a drive from where you're at to iowa but um i'll have to figure out how to get you here so that would be so awesome and i i would love it i need to come and visit your your theater when it when when i'm able to and uh you are you are my you probably don't know this but you're you're my uh hero because i would love to to have a theater you know just a, a movie house i grew up right around the corner literally the same block uh from uh, the the local movie house in my small town and so that's where that's where i saw xanadu for the, for the first time and i i got the the movie poster from our friends that that ran it and so you still have it I did not. Uh, I I did not take good, very good care of it when I was a teenager, unfortunately. So uh, a lot of the a lot of the posters I had became dartboards, which uh, yeah, I I will forever regret. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> the um, but yeah, it's 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 a special thing, and I I I love I love the cinema, and I love the small movie houses, and and I it it would be my dream upon you know any dream that like. I would have a movie house slash, you know, live theater that kind of pulls double duty. And I already, I already realized I'm going to call it the Xanadu if my wife loves oh, me. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's always good to have, you know, big dreams like that. And that would just That's be right. so cool. So uh, again, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, 
what a great topic what a great movie and uh we'll see you next time on first time podcast thanks again for listening to today's episode if you enjoy the show please leave a review on apple podcasts a special thank you goes out to my friend scott schreiner for our intro and outro music we'll see you next week on first time podcast